Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the Action Network Podcast. It's good. Oh. All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing in zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Raybon, joined as always by one of the top rankers in the game, Sean Kerner. And this is the Expert's Guide to Fantasy Football. In this episode, Sean and I are going to go over a big picture approach for how you can dominate your fantasy football leagues. Uh, If you are a little bit newer to the game or you just want to kind of brush up on how to get uh, to that top level, uh, we're going to go over everything from positional scarcity to uh, winning the flex position, you know, missed games, uh, how you can kind of uh, profit from different draft positions when they don't matter or don't matter. We're going to talk about ceilings, floors, and volatility and projections. We're going to talk about how to draft off rankings using ADP. We'll talk about finding busts, preseason research, draft prep, uh, midseason strategy, pretty much everything you need uh, to dominate your fantasy football league. Sean, are you ready? I am ready. All right, man. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> so we're going to start off uh, with a big picture approach. And I think the first thing to talk about is positional scarcity, because on every draft board, you see running backs at the top, see quarterbacks further down. So uh, just explain to the people kind of why is that? So, I mean, running back is the most crucial position um, in fantasy Uh, especially these days because a lot of teams use running back by committees where they lean on two or three different backs uh, throughout the game. So we we have very few workhorse backs that see most of the team's touches out of the backfield. Um, So there is some position scarcity there, but also running back is a very volatile position in general. It's, it's the position that takes the most hits during a game. So it's the most likely position to see injuries and, you know, missing time. So it's, it's so huge and so valuable when you do get, a workhorse running back that's putting up top five production at the position all season long. So that's what we're trying to do. And that's why you see running backs go early um, in drafts is because it's, it's irreplaceable trying to find a workhorse back. So that's why you're trying to get that early on, but we could talk about later. There are, you know, paths to getting that value later in drafts at running back. Um, That's why I don't think it's necessary that you draft a running back in the first round. Um, I, I think it depends where you are, but certainly in the first few picks, running back is typically the way to go. Yeah. And I think, you know, to add to your point, you talk about those workhorse backs, whereas at wide receiver, uh, you know, even a team's second wide receiver is usually going to play 85, 90% yep. of the snaps every game. So there's just more uh, kind of snaps going around where there are not many running backs that are going to play that many snaps. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the other two positions that kind of go hand in hand and that's tight end and quarterback in a, you know, traditional redraft league. 
You are going to be starting one quarterback and one tight end. You may have a flex that you can also put a tight end into, but tight ends are lower scoring. So you generally do not want to aim to have a tight end in your flex position. There are special leagues, you know, that have tight end premium scoring, but uh, we're kind of talking about more uh, standard redraft leagues here, uh, traditional leagues. So um, what I want to ask you, Sean, is, you know, tight end tends to be a position that, uh, you know, we target a stud at earlier, you know, maybe it's a Travis Kelsey or a Mark Andrews, whereas quarterback, the most popular sharp strategy tends to be to wait on quarterback. So why is that the tight end uh, tends to be more valuable uh, to draft early than quarterback? Yeah, so tight end quarterback are what people often refer to as onesie positions. Like you said, a typically uh, you're only starting one, either one tight end or one quarterback. Um, so when it comes to tight end, it, it's a lot more top heavy. You have to remember that the tight end position um, is partially an offensive lineman. So they're going to be blocking at times. They'll be going out for passes sometimes, but you have, elite tight ends like a Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey, they're going out for a pass, you know, 85 to 90% of the time their quarterback drops back, whereas other tight ends might stay in and block. So there's a huge talent gap and just volume gap from the top tight ends and say your tight end 20. Um, so that's why you kind of want to target tight ends early on is because there is a more significant and sharp drop off from the studs from the, from the, you know, the tight end twenties, the tight end thirties. Whereas quarterbacks, you know, you're going to have every given week, there's 32 quarterbacks taking about 100% of the snaps under center. So they all have equal opportunity. Now, granted, you know, Patrick Mahomes is way better than a Zach Wilson, but still the opportunity is still there. So the, the production is a lot tighter um, and it's a lot easier to find value week to week on the waiver wire. So that's why tight end, it's so crucial to take one of these elite tight ends early on. Yeah. And I think even with quarterback, when you just look at, you know, trying to find upside you know, it's easier to spot later on. Like, for example, this year, you know, Jalen Hurts is going outside the top six. Trey Lance is going outside the top 10. You could kind of see those guys having those high upside seasons where you can't really look at like an Albert Okuebunam and say, oh, yeah, he's going to, he has the same upside Travis Kelsey does because he doesn't. So, uh, yeah, it, it, tight end tends to be that one of those positions that we target uh, early on in drafts. But I, I want to get into defining some terms real quick before we move on because, uh, people might hear us talk about, you know, an RB1, uh, an RB2, a wide receiver one, a wide receiver two. Uh, all those mean are, are we're referring to their slot in your lineup. So most lineups are going to start two running backs, two wide receivers and a flex. So RB1 just means, you know, your first running back in that first slot uh, and your RB2 just means your, your second and the same thing for wide receivers. So I just wanted to throw that out there before we. Uh, and typically uh, RB1 means the uh, top 12 running backs. Yes. So we, we're, we're assuming a 12 team league is usually the default. So RB one would be running backs one through 12, anywhere in there. Some leagues, the defaults are 10 teams, standard scoring, believe it or not, and two wide receivers. But I would say the, uh, the appropriate default should be 12 team half PPR. And you're starting three wide receivers and a flex. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's what we like, but I, I'm, this is a beginner's pod. So I'm guessing that right. most people listening are probably playing ESPN or Yahoo. So, you know, I know ESPN is the 10 team PPR uh, and Yahoo is the 10 team uh, half PPR. Both of them are doing two wide receivers, two running backs uh, and a flex. But uh, yeah, we, we're generally talking about that first tier of running backs, you know, 10 mm -hmm. to 12 for RB one, you know, uh, and then the, you know, the, the 13 to 24, the 11 to 20, whatever you want to, 
uh, call it depending on your league size for the RB2 and so on and so forth. Um, but there are some, uh, I think, important distinctions between the positions besides just, you know, kind of looking at running back scarcity and versus wide receiver and tight end versus quarterback. Um, something that's important to know is that these positions generally have different games played expectation. I know you would do a good job kind of differentiating between this. So talk to the people about that. Yeah. So when it comes to quarterback, um, typically you would expect your average pocket passer quarterback to miss about a half game a season. Obviously there's a wide range of outcomes with that, but in general, I dock a Tom Brady, let's say a half a game. So instead of projecting him for 17 games, I'm projecting him for 16 and a half. Um, whereas, you know, a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, that's probably scrambling a lot more, more prone to injury because of that. I'll project them with about one missed game. Um, it really depends on player to player, especially if they're, you know, dealing with an injury heading into the season, like a Matthew Stafford. But typically I project starting quarterbacks between a half or one game missed. Whereas running backs, um, I know you might differ a little bit on this, but typically two games missed, I would say for running backs makes sense. I already mentioned this is, you know, the most fragile position where it's taking a lot of hits in game. Um, you know, if they tweak a hamstring, they can't play through it as easily as other positions. So uh, typically running backs, I project for two missed games, give or take. Uh, wide receiver, it'd be closer to maybe one, one and a half games, uh, a little bit less than a running back. And tight end similar uh, to wide receiver, right? I'd say about one to one and a half games missed on average for each player uh, makes makes a ton of sense. And the reason that's so important is because you have to think of the positions relative to each other when you're valuing them. You know, for example, in your top, let's say 24, you're going to have a, a certain amount of running backs and a certain amount of wide receivers and usually a couple of tight ends. Well, you know, even if you have the running backs and wide receivers, let's say in the first round projected for, you know, the same amount of points per game, because running backs are going to miss more games than wide receivers, uh, you know, those running backs are, are going to now, you know, have a lower season long projected point total. So that's why I think it's important is to kind of get the differential. And I actually, you know, with COVID and just the new IR rules, and there's all these different things that are kind of happening the 17 game season. I wanted to check out, you know, just last season, how everything stacked up by position uh, for running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. Um, and it turns out that wide receivers, their median missed games was still one. So they, so oh. the top, a top three wide receiver who played in week one, um, which is essentially, you know, what you're going to be drafting, uh, played median of 16 games. Uh, for, for a number one tight end, they played a median of 15 games. And then for a top two running back who was on a roster in week one, 14 games. So it, that was pretty interesting. I thought, um, you know, wide receivers tend to be the, the, the position that misses the least amount of games. So, you know, when you're looking at like, let's say a guy like Jamar Chase in the first round, and you're comparing him to a guy like Joe Mixon, um, you know, even if they are projected for the same amount of points, uh, you would expect Chase to miss probably about a game less than mm -hmm. a, or, or maybe even one and a half to two uh, than Mixon. So that does kind of affect how you, how you draft, because essentially, um, you know, you're always going to have to account for those. For example, if you start two running backs and you can only count on each running back for 14 to 15 games, uh, but you need, you know, 17, because uh, there's yeah. also going to be a bye week you really need a whole extra running back. So like you, you're starting two running backs, but you really need to treat it as if you're starting three running backs. 
because you're going to need a whole extra set of games, you know, to, to, to kind of make up for the fact that you're going to, you're going to have to, you're going to miss the, the first two guys are going to miss games. So um, that that's just really important. I think uh, for people to think about and, and just, and also just thinking about the the upside and, and floors of different positions relative to each other, wide receivers are just going to give you the most bang for your buck uh, generally. Uh, okay. Let's go on to, uh, and talk about something we call streaming, which is, you know, we kind of talked about positional scarcity. Uh, you know, th- I, there are, I, the way I kind of differentiate it is you have your high scoring positions and, and you have your low scoring positions, and then you have your high demand positions and your low demand mm-hmm. positions. So quarterback is high scoring, but it's low demand, it's high supply. There's always going to yep. be extra guys on the waiver wire. The same thing is true of kicker and defense. They're low scoring uh, but you know, there's always going to be extras on the, the waiver wire. So those three positions in particular, you can also do it with tight end, but quarterback kicker defense, um, just because you have so much, uh, you know, excess supply on the waiver wire that you could kind of get a similar uh, a point total from a guy, like, let's say, um, you know, a to a tongue of Iloa could be sitting on your waiver wire and he might only be a, a couple of points off from a guy like uh, Dak Prescott, let's say, especially in a given week, if he has a good matchup. So uh, that's, you know, so explain to people kind of what streaming is and how they can use the waiver wire at the quarterback kicker defense, especially um, to kind of get an edge and and not have to waste picks on, (laughs) on these positions. Yeah. That's how I would describe it. Not wasting picks. So I never waste a pick on a kicker or a defense. Um, I usually, instead of drafting a kicker defense, if your league allows, I just draft two more backup running backs way later in the draft. Um, just in case there's, you know, an injury pops up and they become a starter for week one. Uh, it's just kind of a free lottery ticket, I would call it. But by the time we get to week one, um, I'm going to stream a kicker defense, meaning I'm going to just add a kicker and defense from the waiver wire and any, since these positions are so dependent on matchup um, any given week, I can usually find a top five kicker or top five defense in my projections. So all season long, you know, I'm essentially having a top five kicker defense without even drafting the position. Um, So, you you know, when it comes to those positions, I just love having the flexibility of not just hanging on to somebody. Um, You know, if you have a, a kicker like a Harrison Butker or something, you know, there's going to be some weeks where maybe he's outside of the top 10. If the Chiefs have a bad matchup by week, you have to add somebody when you're streaming kicker and defense, you have the maximum flexibility. Uh, so I love that as well. And quarterback is actually I mean, it's the most valuable position in real life. But in fantasy, it's pretty easy to stream. There's been seasons where I don't draft the quarterback and I'm still e- able to either stream, you know, like a top eight quarterback or end up having a top five quarterback anyway, just from. Uh, landing gold uh, on the waiver are like uh, Justin Herbert a couple years ago. I was able to pick him up in a few leagues. So when it comes to quarterback, like you said, any given week, you're going to have guys like Tua, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr possibly available. And one of them is going to have a pretty good matchup that week. So typically you'll see a quarterback on your waiver that's being ranked as a top 12 quarterback anyway. So it's, it's a very nice safety net to have at the position. Um, like you said, there's a ton of good quarterbacks now. Uh, the NFL is loaded with starting caliber elite quarterbacks. So um, right now it's easier than ever to stream the QB position, meaning you don't have to necessarily take a quarterback early on. And I, I want to, you know, to, to drive the point home, I want to give an example. Uh, last season, Justin Fields, 
his last mm-hmm. four games that he started and finished because he got hurt in one of them. But the other four, he finished QB2, QB11, QB9, QB10. So Justin Fields, with <laughs> no help around him, in Matt Nagy's system as a rookie with the worst QBR in the entire NFL you know, gave you a QB eight finish over his last four, you know, complete starts. And even if you factor in the other start, you know, it's still a pretty solid, uh, you know, streamer there. So, and he, you know, he was a guy that you could have just picked up because, you know, nobody really wanted to touch him. But (laughs) I think that's what's important is with the quarterbacks, especially it's not just looking for those matchups. It's also looking for that rushing upside. Like, I feel like every week this year, you're going to have a Falcons quarterback that is going to be a good streamer because it's either going to be Mariota or it's going to be Ritter and they both can run. So, uh, and, and those guys are like, you know, they're going to be available in pretty much every waiver wire in a, in a single QB week. So, um, you know, those are the things you, you, you need to look out for uh, when you're streaming the quarterback position. And, you know, to your point, roster spots are essentially meant to find high upside running backs and wide receivers. Like they are valuable commodities. You do not want to waste uh roster spot more than one roster spot on any of a quarterback kicker defense even a tight end i would i I would say like i I don't really (laughs) like to have an extra tight end on my roster either um but here's the thing why i love your point about not about streaming kickers and defense is is because let's say you draft justin tucker right Mm -hmm. now not only did you use a pick on justin tucker that you could have been you know having an extra running back for maybe a week or two you know maybe something comes of it but now, what happens when you get to a bye week? You, you're probably going to be invested in Justin Tucker, and you're going to want to keep him on your bench and then have to pick up another kicker. So now you're wasting an extra roster spot on the kicker. You know, it's just like, it just, it's just <laughs> not optimal to do. Yeah. Um, so that's why, you know, kicker and defense especially, you know, stream it if you can. And, and I would say if you're newer to fantasy, one of the easiest cheat codes you can do is, is to actually – just don't draft a quarterback when everyone else is just wait and just draft one in like the last round or the last couple of rounds uh, that has a good week one matchup and go from there because most people are going to draft like a quarterback in the first, you know, six, seven rounds, maybe eight rounds. And for you to have that extra running back or that extra wide receiver, it's just going to make your life so much easier. Cause when you're setting your lineup, because you're always going to know exactly who to put in that quarterback position, but uh, having an extra running back, with a, with a good matchup that you can slot in and instead of having to worry about, you know, some like, you know, fringe, you know, guy who's going to get like eight touches and like, ah, should I start him or this, or this wide receiver who's going to get like three catches? I got, you know what I mean? Like, it's just going to be so yeah. much easier if you have that one extra, like it makes such a big difference. You just have that one extra guy each week um, giving you startable value at, at running back or at wide receiver. And this also stems from, your point earlier about running backs missing, I guess last year, the median was three games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a position where you have guys coming in out of the lamp dealing with injury and guys stepping up. So that's the position I typically have the most exposure to on my bench. Um, so I'll have four or five running backs at a time on my bench. So you're exactly right. You want to save your bench as just a running back depth chart. So to speak, because the position is so volatile, you need to have depth there. And it's very tough to find, um, guys on the waiver wire that can, you know, step right into your lineup. So it's it's critical to kind of stash as many running backs as possible. Yeah, I, I'll tell you this. Like I've I've drafted and, and mock drafted and simulated so many teams <laughs> this year. And like I like my teams a whole lot better when I just don't draft a quarterback in those first yeah. 10 rounds. Like it's just 
I loved Jalen Hurts this year. I, I like to get him on some teams. Trey Lance, I, I you know, used to be able to get him outside the top 10. Now people are kind of wising up to that. So it's like my the best teams come when you just get that extra running back and you go in the first 10 rounds and you have like, you know, four running backs and five receivers and a tight end. Uh, it's just going to make your life so much easier yeah. from week to week. All right, let's talk about the flex position next because pretty much uh, every league these days has a flex position. Uh, what that is, is a, a position where you can start a running back, a wide receiver, or a tight end. Um, so I, I want to talk to you about how, how do you kind of approach the flex position? Uh, how do you decide, you know, which position you want to start uh, in there and how does it affect your, your draft strategy? Uh, so I don't really go out of my way to think about the flex position Per se, um, it, it all stems from my draft process of just trying to load up at running back and wide receiver to begin with. Um, you solve your flex problem that way because you're typically going to be using your highest ranked running back or wide receiver on your bench that week in your flex. Whereas, like you said, you're, you're typically not rostering more than one tight end anyway. So that's not really a position that you're ever using in the flex uh, outside of extreme circumstances. But just by having solid wide receiver and running back depth uh, you're going to handle the flex, you know, situation itself. So that's why I just think it's one of the many reasons why just attacking running back and wide receiver early on makes a lot of sense. And don't be afraid to start filling out your bench, even when there's good quarterbacks on the board. Like you said, just punting quarterback altogether can be a good strategy because you do want to build up your running back and wide receiver depth because of that flex slot. So it all goes hand in hand. So I'm not necessarily thinking about my flex um, per se, but my overall draft strategy certainly caters to that. Yeah, it just comes down to when you're drafting, you're going to see, you know, on your league settings, it's going to tell you your starting line requirements. And you're going to see, you know, two running backs, two wide receivers, one flex. And then so what you really want to keep in mind is that uh, and you're also going to have obviously a quarterback and a tight end like your flex yeah. is going to be you have to treat it like a, another running back and another wide receiver. So it's like what we're trying to say is just because you start two running backs, wide receivers in a flex don't be afraid to take your third running back or your fourth wide receiver yeah. before you take your quarterback like you don't your starting lineup is is not just those two running backs two wide receivers in a flex it's two running backs two wide receivers in a flex plus all those missed games you have to account from your running backs your wide receivers your flex <laughs> so you need really you know like an extra player at each of those positions you need an extra running back an extra wide receiver and an extra flex which could be a running back or a wide receiver and that's just going to come down to you know, where, where the value is in your draft. And, you know, that's what you can, you can look at our rankings for and see, you know, yeah. how we're kind of ranking, you know, running backs versus the wide receivers as you get into the sixth, seventh, eighth round, where you're probably going to be taking those players that uh, are going to end up in those spots. But. Um, and I, I will say just real quickly that there's leagues where there's a super flex where you can play a quarterback and that changes the game dramatically. So if you're in a two QB or a super flex league, the quarterback position becomes even more valuable. We have been talking about punting quarterbacks because of the difference between the QB 12 and the QB, you know, 20 isn't that big of a deal. But when you're in a two QB league, most of the starting quarterbacks in the league are going to be drafted. And there is a huge drop off from QB 32 to QB 33 because one of them is starting and one of them isn't. <laughs> so quarterbacks become insanely valuable in two QB and super flex formats. So I just want to make that clear. If you're in a super flex, you're absolutely trying to get two quarterbacks, I would say, before the end of round five, typically. But um, that th those kind of leagues makes the quarterback way more valuable. 
Yeah, because if you and if you're in a you know a a ten teamer, uh, you know you're gonna there's gonna be thirty quarterbacks that essentially need to be drafted. But yep. if you're in a uh, twelve teamer, then there there'll be thirty six. So then you really <laughs> you want to kind of go and uh, make sure you get the three quarterbacks and not be one of those teams in your league that only has. Uh, <laughs> Or else you're going to have to take a flyer on like a Drew Locke as your QB3. All right, let's move on to draft position. And uh, by draft position, I mean where your draft slot is in the first round because that's going to dictate, obviously, how you pick in the rounds that come after because, you know, fantasy drafts are snake drafts, which means if you pick last in the first round, you pick first in the second uh, and vice versa. So, um, you know, Sean, how do you kind of think of draft position and do you, you know, does it kind of factor into your, your thinking and your strategy uh, at all? And are there positions you kind of prefer or, or don't prefer? Um, yeah, that's, that's a loaded question. I would just first start by saying, I think I can win from any draft slot. So just because you don't get the first pick in the draft doesn't mean that, you know, your, your hopes are crushed of winning the league. I, I think, you can win from any draft slot. Your draft strategy for the first few rounds definitely changes based on where you're drafting because you're only going to really have, um, you know, smaller player pools that are available to you throughout the first few rounds. So, for example, if you have, say, a first, you know, four pick, you're probably not getting an elite tight end because, A, you, you shouldn't be drafting a tight end that early, uh, you know, Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews. And B, neither one will probably make it back to you. So that that does impact something like your tight end strategy. So if you have an earlier pick, uh, you'll probably end up with a, an elite running back or a receiver and then get one on the way back. But each draft slot, I have sort of a overall plan um, going into it. Uh, and then certainly once the draft starts, the plans go out of the window. But you certainly want to have a general plan on how you're going to approach each each position depending on draft slots. So that's, we'll get to that later, but the one way you do that is just by doing a ton of mock drafts. And you'll see what I'm saying, where you're only going to have a few players at a given time in the first few rounds that you can even consider. So it's, you know, the, your draft slot really does dictate kind of who you get. And I, I prefer um, being in the middle. I think that it's easier, especially when you get to the middle rounds to kind of anticipate which players are going to make it back to you. Um, if you're at the ends, you have to, sometimes you have to consider 24 you know, picks before your next pick. So it's, it's very tough to gauge which player might be there. So you have to reach a bit more, which I don't like doing in the middle round. So being in the middle, you know, picks five through seven, I have a much better handle on who's going to come back to me. It's easier for me to kind of get value and not reach for guys um, from those draft slots. Yeah. And I think, you know, you kind of mentioned it where there's going to be kind of a certain amount of options depending on what your slot is. And I think it's important to mention that there are a lot of these um, kind of, I don't want to call them fads, but they're kind of trendy strategies where, you know, they have like the zero running back and the hero <laughs> running back and all these different strategies yeah. where you kind of, uh, ha you're going with a certain position for a certain, uh, you know, at a certain round, like oh, some people will say, okay, you want to go running back, running back, running back in the first three rounds, or you want to go like wide receiver, uh, stud tight end wide receiver in the first three rounds and fade running back. I don't think you should ever go into a draft with a rigid strategy like that. But to your point, just by knowing where you're picking in the first round, there's only going to be cert a certain amount of, you know, possibilities. So you can kind of still plan around that. Like if you're picking second, you know that, you know, only Jonathan Taylor or 
you know, somebody in that, you know, <laughs> in those top few picks is going to be off the board. So you could kind of plan around, okay, who do I, who's going to be around in the second pick? You generally know it's going to be pretty much everybody <laughs> except yeah. likely Jonathan Taylor, <laughs> or maybe, you know, another running back or Cooper Cup or Justin Jefferson. Like there's very few possibilities uh, that that can't happen there. So then you say, okay, well, from there, now it's going to be a lot, a little bit harder to, to figure out, you know, who's going to be there when I pick, you know, at the, at the end of the second round, but, you know, based on who I'm planning to, what I'm planning to do in the first round, I still can have a, a kind of general plan uh, and, and kind of, so there are ways to kind of think about that, but you shouldn't ever go in with a rigid strategy. Cause I mean, you could come into a draft and, you know, let's say, everyone just goes wide receiver crazy. And like, you know, Derrick Henry's around at the end of the second round. And yeah. You were like, Oh, I'm taking a wide receiver. Definitely. Like, no, you're not. If Derrick Henry's still around, <laughs> you're taking Derrick exactly. Henry. It's an extreme example, but it's just, you have to be ready for value to fall to you is my point, which is why you never want to have a rigid strategy. You just, you can have an ideal strategy. You can say my, my ideal start, like to your point about the tight ends, uh, you know, Mark Andrews ADP is around 20th. So like if I'm if I'm drafting, let's say third, I might say, okay, you know, my ideal start is like a top, you know, running back, whether it's McCaffrey or, or Henry, and then you know, Mark Andrews in the second. It, I'm, it might not happen, but I'm right. kind of looking out for that, and then I know, you know, what my I, second most ideal uh, start is, and, and kind of going from there. So you can kind of plan those. Usually, those first three, you can kind of get a somewhat of an idea of how it's going to turn out, and then it, it gets a lot more. Um, you know, the average draft position is average, you know, that's what you're going to be kind of drafting off. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, but average draft position is just kind of the order in which players are drafted and, and the average spot at which they go. Yep. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of deviation from that, you know, just cause a guy average goes on average, you know, the 20th pick, he could go the 10th sometimes and the 30th sometimes. So, uh, it's important to keep that in mind as well. Uh, let's go to, uh, something, uh, kind of a philosophy that I think is, is important and, I'll let you explain the quote. You can't win your league in the first few rounds, but you can definitely lose it. Yeah. So that's, I think that either came for you or I last year, uh, but uh, we both kind of live by that philosophy of the first few rounds. Uh, don't overthink it. Just take guys that uh, we know will be good this year and don't really have any glaring concerns like a potential suspension or an injury heading into the season. Um, so you're really not trying to outthink your league mates by let, let's say I go into the draft and I love, you know, Deandre Swift. I don't need to take him the second pick overall. Um, or, you know, Saquon Barkley last year had that, um, you know, ankle injury heading into the season. Like he was too risky. That's why we're fading him. So what you can do early in the draft is lose it because if you were to gamble on a Saquon Barkley early on, take him way too early. Um, or, or take a player that's, you know, potentially going to get suspended like Alvin Kamara. If he gets suspended, you know, that's going to be really hard for you to overcome. So it's just unnecessary to take big risk in the early rounds when there's so many players that will give you stable, efficient production that uh, just the first few rounds specifically, uh, I, I'm just taking guys that I know are going to perform. I'm not trying to, you know, win the league with the first few rounds. First few rounds. I'm just trying to avoid catastrophe. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. You know, you want high floor guys because everyone in the first few rounds has a high ceiling. But there's yeah. always, you know, depending on the year, uh, there will be a few guys mixed in there that just have lower floors than the rest. You know, I think Kamara is an example. We still don't know exactly what's going on with the suspension. There is some news that maybe it won't come 
uh, this year. So if that if that's going to happen, then that changes things a little bit. If we right. if that, we can guarantee that. But, um, you know, I think uh, J.K. Dobbins is another one where we just aren't quite sure exactly where his health is. We know he got activated off the PUP, uh, but, you know, you know, is he going to be you know, back to 100 percent? You know, is you know how where is he? You know, if we don't know that. I've seen him go as early as the fourth round. You know, people are drafting him as their, you know, second running back. I don't think that is necessarily uh, what you need to do because uh, there are just so, like, all you have to do is go down one. Like, there's so many other players. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it's still early. You know, when you get late in the draft, you're then it's the opposite. Like, after about the first nine to 10 rounds in, in a 10 or 12 team league, any the players you feel comfortable like starting in week one, they're going to be gone. Like, so now, you're essentially drafting for, for upside because like even the guys you're, you're drafting, their projections aren't really going to be like startable. Like they could turn into that, but that's the whole point. You're looking for that kind of upside. Um, so you, you could take a lot more risks at those points uh, in the draft. But early on, you know, if there's a guy you have any, you know, major concern with, just, just move on to the next guy down, down the list. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about, value-based drafting because that kind of underlies a, a lot of what we've been talking about this far. So um, you want to just explain, you know, kind of value-based drafting principles really quickly and how we use it to kind of. Yeah. Like Every positions, you know, either higher scoring or lower scoring. So quarterbacks are going to score, score way more points than, you know, wide receiver tight end. So when it comes to value-based drafting, it's a, a number that you create that you can, use across all positions to kind of compare them equally. So how well that player does within the position. So how well Josh Allen does within the quarterback position is going to give you a better valuation of where you should draft them overall. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of caveats at that. And like we've been talking about the range of outcomes, things like that. But in general, it's, it's trying to assign a number to, to every given player based on their position. Um, and really what it does is it kind of shows where there's certain drop-offs at the position. That's what I really look at. So I, I have, you know, a value-based drafting sort of overall value number, but when I'm drafting, what I'm looking for is, you know, I'm trying to assess which players are going to be off the board um, by the time it's my next pick. And I try to see which position has the biggest drop-off in their value-based drafting score. So that's kind of essentially the idea behind it is trying to, you know, cherry pick a position when there's going to be a big drop-off within the position because it's you, you, it's not comparing apples to apples because they each position scores differently. Um, so that's sort of the overall view is just trying to put everybody on an even playing field. Yeah, and the way to that it's done, or the original way it's done, and there's a lot of ways you can you can do it that kind of go off that. But uh, essentially, what you're what the original way to do it is, or the most basic way to do it is, you find the baseline starter at each position. So you know, let's say you're in a, a ten team league. And you're start, you know, that, so that means, and you start one quarterback. So that means you're subtracting the 10th ranked quarterback. Cause that's the baseline. You're subtracting his score uh, from every other quarterback score, yeah. uh, you know, to get a baseline number. So he would be zero. And then, you know, the top ranked quarterback, he would be the first, he would have the highest score and so on and so forth. And that's because, but as you mentioned, for example, quarterbacks, like the top, usually five to 10 quarterbacks usually outscore like the top running back, the top wide receiver. Yeah. So, but you're not drafting like the top quarterback in a one quarterback league. You're not drafting like Josh Allen first overall. You're drafting Jonathan Taylor first overall. Why? Because Jonathan Taylor is better than the, you know, number 24 running back. 
you know, when you subtract that score from his projection, then, you know, Josh Allen is from the top, from the number 12 quarterback. So that's what you're trying to look at. And really the baseline starter is that's how you kind of, um, you know, that's where you can differ and kind of tailor it to your league. You know uh, what I, you know, i kind of mentioned that you're going to need more games. You're not just going to look at, so I'm not just going to look at like the, the RB 24 for my baseline running back. I'm going to look somewhere, you know, closer to the RB, you know, 36, because I'm factoring in the fact that I need this, you know, this extra running back to give me this extra set of games. And then also a flex um, could be a running back half the time. So I might be looking at even like a running back 40 uh, for the baseline and, and same thing for wide receivers. Whereas, you know, the quarterback and tight end, their baseline is usually just going to be, um, you know, whatever, however many you're starting in your league, whether it's 10 or 12. So um, that's what's going to kind of give you that list that you always see in, in the rankings, those overall um, ranking lists where you have, you know, Jonathan Taylor and all the other running backs mm-hmm. and wide receivers, you know, rank high. And then you don't see your first quarterback usually until maybe the, the early third round. It's usually Josh Allen. That's how they're getting um, those rankings is by just um, essentially assigning a baseline starter. And, and that's what you can do, you know, with our uh, fantasy tool at actionnetwork.com. You can input your league settings. And then that's how it's going to kind of determine the ranking. So um, that is what value-based drafting is. And that just, it just underlies, um, you know, everything we're kind of talking about, but that's just kind of the the nuts and bolts behind it. You don't really need to, you know, if you're a casual player, (laughs) you don't really need to be doing this yourself. Our rankings and projections are going to be doing it for you. Um, But it's just good to kind of understand, you know, how we get to these rankings, how, why, why the first quarterback is not going to round three, you know, that's why. Yeah. And so just real quick, just I'm going to try to make it simple as possible. But when it comes to like the original, um, you know, way of calculating it. Yeah. You would take like QB one subtract by QB 12, yep. uh, you know, go through each position. You don't really need to do that for kicker and defense. Cause then, you know, Justin <laughs> Tucker is going to be in round six. So the way that I actually do it is I look at say the top 50 and ADP or top hundred, whatever you want to choose, yeah. how many players from each position are being drafted in that range. So if you look at the top 50, if there's five quarterbacks being drafted in the top 50, um, I would make the QB scores the QB1 minus QB5. And if there's 16 running backs, I would make it the running back one minus the running back 16. So that way you can get a closer idea of how you should be drafting positionally um, in the top 50 specifically. And then outside of the top 50, you should be drafting based on just position need anyway. Uh, But that's a more advanced way to calculate it from the original just QB1 by QB12. Yeah, that's a great point. All right, let's go talk about rankings a little bit more. And because I think, you know, the average person that's listening and that's new to fantasy, you know, they're going to essentially find a set of rankings, you know, whether it's ours, whether it's somebody else's, whether it's a whole bunch of different ones, uh, they're probably going to be drafting off rankings. That's kind of what we recommend. But uh, even within that, there's there's ways to kind of do that and there's ways to not. Um, the first thing we should talk about a little bit more is um, just kind of rankings and then ADP. You know, those people are probably going to have access to those two pieces of information. How do you how do you kind of reconcile those and use those in tandem um, in your draft? Yeah, so my my rankings are how I'm valuing the players. And that's ideally the order that I'm going to draft them. But you have to look at ADP the average draft position um, to know when they're likely to get taken in your league. So um, an example would be if I like a running back, like, I don't know, Tony Pollard, where I have him ranked as like a fifth round running back. 
if I can get him in rounds six through eight, depending, you know, on my league, um, I'm going to wait until then to draft them. So you, you don't want to, you know, cut your value by drafting the player where they should go. Um, you want to draft them where you can get them, where you're getting value and you can draft a different player there that won't make it back to you. So that's probably the point I'm trying to make is draft players that, you know, won't make it back to you, but that are highest uh, available in the rankings. That's typically the best way to handle it. And then the rest will kind of sort itself out, but average draft position is huge. Um, just in terms of me approaching the draft, knowing which players I can probably get later um, in the draft and knowing which players I'll probably want to avoid. So that kind of dictates my overall process uh, for each position. Yeah, I think that's so important because, you know, for example, you know, using your Tony Powered example, um, you also kind of know, all right, how many players at each position you're going to need, especially at running back yeah. and wide receiver. So what what could end up happening is, because Tony Powered, let's say, you know, Sean, you have him ranked two rounds ahead of where he's going. What, what, what a person would be, should really be doing then is they probably would end up taking a player that you have ranked lower than Pollard uh, ahead yeah. of him because that will be more valuable because like, let's say it's just a wide receiver that you just have ranked right in line with ADP. Well, they're going to need a receiver because they're going to have this value at running back. That's like, you know, two rounds ahead of value that they can, still get so that you don't always draft straight off rankings because it's you're not going to go terribly wrong but you're going to lose out on value so you always have to use rankings in tandem with ADP you know there's no other way uh you know we can't you can't just rank players uh we can't just rank players based off ADP because it's like it's always going to change every draft there's going to be yeah you know so so the best we can do is just give you our rankings and then you have ADP and then you say, okay, well, he has these three running backs, you know, two rounds higher that should be here, you know, in, in a couple of rounds. So I'm just going to take, you know, a wide receiver that's at value because I'm going to be getting value back later with one of these guys. And I think that's another important thing is when you're drafting and you're kind of choosing whether to wait or not, you want to think about, you know, if it's a position that you're saying, okay, maybe I'm going to hold off on running back. It shouldn't just be because like Tony Pollard is the only guy. It should, mm -hmm. should hopefully there should be a couple of guys that you have options because again, all it takes is one person to take Pollard ahead of his ADP, and <laughs> right. then and then your plan is screwed. So it's at, remember it's average draft position, and so that's what you're using the rankings for. You 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 still want to kind of um, you know look at the tiers, and I think this is where you really um, stand out and do a lot of great work. So I want you to explain to everyone how you. Mm -hmm. How go why first of all, why you go about tiering players and then how you do it and then how you use it. Yeah. So I think just viewing rankings in sort of tiers or buckets is so critical because it allows you to assess, you know, where a position is about to um, see a tier evaporate. So that's that's when you should attack that position. So um, for example, like quarterback, I have Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray sort of ranked similarly. So um, I'm probably not going to take Patrick Mahomes because I know I can get a player like Kyler Murray a bit later, but I have them projected similarly. So um, one of the, the overall themes when it comes to my tiers is you don't really want to be drafting at the top of a tier because you're, you're going to have potentially these players available later on. Whereas if there's one player left in a tier, they become way more valuable because once they're gone, theoretically, you know, there's going to be a drop off at the position. So that's, that's where you're going to find the most value is getting a guy that's grouped with a, you know, a bunch of guys 
that if once he's off the board, he's gone, there's gonna be a drop off at the position. That's why I attack it. So tiers are a great way to kind of see where each position is and where there's potential drop offs. And that's in theory, that's how you build championship, you know, caliber teams is just attacking value, attacking positions before there's a drop off. So that's why I love using, uh, you know, tiers as an overall strategy and how I rank my players. Yeah. And I think that's really important when, when you look at the overall rank of a player, you know, it's that it's, it's going to come down to the tier. It's not just about the overall ranking. It's about, you know, um, you know, I think quarterback is a good example. I mean, you have Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, and they're kind of in a similar tier to Kyler Murray and, and Lamar Jackson for a lot of us. And uh, there's a good like two, three round spread sometimes and where yep. those guys get taken. And so that's, you know, it, it does, it's not always that wide with, you know, running back and wide receiver, but it's still important to kind of know, um, you know, where those drop offs are um, because that can, you know, you're never going to be able to predict perfectly, you know, who's going to make it back to you in the next round and who everyone's going to take. But if you see, okay, there are, there's still like five guys in this running back tier but there's only like one or two guys in this wide receiver tier. I probably take the wide receiver because I'll get a, a you know, a similarly valued running back uh, in the next round. So that's, that's yep. just kind of how you want to think about um, tiering. <laughs> Let's talk about, you know, we have, we can't go uh, through a fantasy flex pod without <laughs> talking about the frozen pond tier. So yep. um, it, it's different every year. So talk about that really quick. Yeah. So, I mean, in general, I reserve this term for running backs that typically go in the RB 15 to RB 25 range. Um, and they seem perfectly safe on the surface. Think of a frozen pond. You can walk on it, but at any given time, the bottom can drop out and their, their value is gone. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the way I think about it when you're, you're drafting these running backs. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm ranking these guys in line with ADP. Like I'm not saying they're bad bets, but you're driving them so early on that they have a low floor where, they can ruin your team um, if they bust. So it's typically running backs that there's a chance they can either become, you know, more entrenched in a two, three-way running back committee or even lose their job outright in the season. And Mike Davis last year was a perfect example. Can't be Cordero Patterson, right? <laughs> and sure enough, that's what happened. So it's like Mike Davis, he was the week one starting running back for the Falcons, but he was a frozen pond running back where he just has a very low floor um, where he's he's being drafted probably where he should in terms of rankings, but it kind of goes with our overall point with running back. There's a wide range of outcomes for a lot of these backs because it's such a volatile position that it does kind of hurt you when you spend draft capital to get these running backs in the 15 to 25 range. So that's why I try to cherry pick, you know, a handful of running backs. That I'm like, hey, you got to be careful uh, because the, the ground, uh, you know, on top of them is not as sturdy as you may think. Yeah. And you know, this year, I think we both have kind of come to the conclusion that it's a little better this year than I think it has <laughs> been in years past. I mean, yeah. I mean, what we had like Zach Moss and Miles Gaskin, and Mike <laughs> Davis last year. And, uh, you know, this year it's, you know, we're like worried about Antonio Gibson and, and Josh Jacobs. Right? There's just a little more substantial yeah. um, back. So I, what I like to do with it in the way I kind of try to minimize the risk is just take the guys who fall like. Like, I'm not trying to cherry pick which of these guys, like they're all dart throws uh, at to your point in that range. Like they all have low floors, but there's also a reason why we have them ranked RB 15 to 25. <laughs> and I would even extend that to really RB like 35 this year. Right. It's, you know, it's this. So what I like to do is, you know, just wait. I think especially, um, you know, if you, if you have a running back that you got, you know, in the first, you know, couple of rounds, you know, you have your RB one, 
these guys are going to be your RB2, your RB3, and your RB4 uh, on your depth chart, on your fantasy depth chart. So, you know, attack wide receiver, like you said, we're also trying to stack up on wide receiver. And then, you know, whoever falls, you know, whether it's a, a Gibson or whether, it, you know, sometimes it could be a, a Jacob, sometimes it might be a, a AJ Dillon, a Damian Harris. It just depends. You know, if you're taking those guys yep. around lower or two than ADP, you know, that risk is mitigated because you've all, you've stocked up on like your wide receivers of choice. Um, and, yep. and maybe you also got a stud tight end. So that's the way I, I kind of approach it this year. I kind of treat my RB2 slot a lot differently than I treat my RB1 slot. My, my RB1 slot, I want to have like a good, dependable, solid back. But my RB2 slot, I'm kind of thinking of it in terms of like, I'm going to need multiple guys for that slot. Like anyway, yeah. you know, so, you that's, know, yeah. That's a great way to put it. And that's why I don't like when people refer to it as the dead zone. It's not a dead zone. There's, yeah. You still got to draft be, somebody. <laughs> like, like you said, if these guys fall, like I absolutely will take them. I frozen pun is perfect because all it is, is I'm just urging caution with some of these players. It's it. It doesn't mean they're guaranteed to bust. It just, their floor is lower. So that's why. I, it irks me when people call it the dead zone because it's not that. It's the frozen pond tier. Damn yeah. it. Damn it. And, and <laughs> just to kind of tie a bow on it, I, I want to explain why it's important, you know, for us to talk about this and why it's important to have a plan for it is because the alternative is like, yeah, you could avoid the so-called dead zone frozen pond tier, but then you're going to have to go running back, running back, running back in the first three rounds. If you go running back, let's say you do 100 drafts, right? Let's, you, I know you might only be doing one or two, but let's, let's just say you're doing 100 drafts and you, you always wanted to avoid the frozen pond tier. So you always started with three straight running backs. That means you would get 0% of Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, uh, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, uh, maybe even Kyle Pitts, you know, like, you're cutting yourself like if there was if we could just like avoid the tier. Yeah, we obviously would. But it's not worth avoiding the tier to sacrifice the upside that you'd be giving up by and passing on like high end wide, you know, top end wide receivers and stud tight ends. Absolutely. No, 100 percent. And you are going all in on the most fragile position in fantasy. Yeah. So you're setting yourself up for a scary low floor by doing that. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's talk about uh, let's talk about range of outcomes a little bit more because I think that kind of goes into it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think an interesting example of range of outcomes is like Trey Lance in, in 2021. A lot of people, uh, you know, he was kind of ranked like QB 14 going into the season, but um, kind of explain like. You know, he didn't end there, obviously. But kind <laughs> yeah. of explain what the thought process was kind of going into the year, you know, with, with Trey Lance and, and oh, the range man. of outcomes and then what actually happened. Yeah, so Trey Lance was a perfect example last year of just like rankings don't necessarily have to reflect, reflect like the median outcome for quarterback. Obviously, Trey Lance sitting out all season behind Jimmy G was a potential outcome and that's exactly what happened. But the fact that Lance could have taken over at any given time. And when he did, or if he did, he probably would have produced like a top 12 quarterback, potentially a top five quarterback. Um, you would want to draft him, um, you know, QB 14 to QB 17, because like we said, in a one QB league, you're, you're probably not having many teams where they're drafting more than one quarterback. So you would just stash him on your bench. 
which I did last year. Um, and however, he never played. So he didn't really kill me <laughs> by drafting him in the QB 15 range, but his range of outcomes was a potential top five quarterback. So it was worth the risk. Um, whereas somebody like Tom Brady, we knew that he was going to finish right about, you know, QB seven. So that's why when it comes to range of outcomes, it all, no, no, he did not finish QB seven. Oh, I mean, QB two. Well, he was ranked like QB seven. And you know, I I was saying he might have a historic season. I'm just saying like, we knew he was winning. He's going to be good no matter what. Right. Um, whereas Trey Lance had a wide range of outcomes. I think a better example this year. Um, well, you, you had a great piece out with, uh, Romeo dubs, right? Yeah. Um, where, uh, there, there's a chance he actually doesn't end up being Aaron Rodgers' first or second target even. Yep. Um, so, you know, you might not rank him necessarily wide receiver 65, but the fact that he has a chance to potentially be Aaron Rodgers' number one or number two target means that we should be drafting him a lot higher than where the median projection yep. is because that's what we're trying to do. Like, if, if you want to draft Jamison Crowder instead of him, be my guest, but he's not going to have a league-winning season. But Romeo Dubs might. So um, that's why we consider range of outcomes at certain points in the draft. I already mentioned in the first couple of rounds, I'm not taking huge chances because I just want a high floor. Whereas later in the draft, you want to take massive swings on these flyer wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks. Um, so I think it's important to kind of factor that when you're looking at rankings. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, Dobbs is a really good example. I think a- another one, you know, at running back would be, um, let's take the commanders. Let's take JD McKissick versus Brian Robinson Jr. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're always going to have JD McKissick ranked above Robinson Jr. Because JD McKissick has a locked in role. We know he's going to play, you know, a certain amount of the passing snaps yep. and get, you know, three or four carries per game. And that's, what's going to happen. Now, uh, Robinson, you know, he might have a minimal role, you know, some short yarders. They want to keep Gibson fresher, but you know, his median outcome is probably, you know, four carries a game or something like that. But um, if let's say Gibson gets hurt now, Robinson all of a sudden is essentially getting the Gibson workload and he's more valuable than JD McKissick. So if you already have your starting running backs, which of course you're going to have by the time you'd even think about drafting either of those guys, uh, it's really no point in, you know, maybe in a certain deep PPR league, you know, to get like the, the, the every week points with McKissick, but there's really no point in, in getting like a cap feeling guy like that. So you'd want Robinson, even though Robinson would be ranked lower um, and he might end up never starting a game in the entire season if Gibson plays all 17s. But um, those are the kind of guys you want late in the draft after you've already got your, you know, your starting lineup and, you know, you've kind of exhausted, you know, all those players that are kind of startable are going to be startable from week one on. It doesn't really matter like the other guys, cause they weren't really going to put up startable value anyway. Those, those guys you're drafting late. So you might as well just look for that, that high ceiling. And with running backs, it's always going to be, can this guy, um, you know, take over like a workload that would, you know, give him like 15, 20 touches a game and, and give him potential to be a, a fantasy RB one. Yep. And for that, I would say, check out my running back upside rankings, uh, ratings piece where I go over every backfield, exactly what you said, the range of outcomes. And I even grade the backups based on their expected, their potential ceiling, if they were to ever start in relation to their ADP. So check that out. Yeah, that's, that's a great piece. That's a great way to look at it, you know, kind of looking at, okay, which running back, you know, how is a running back going to look, you know, if this, if the starter goes down, like, where is he going to be? Like, that's, 
that's essentially what you're trying to do. And then with wide receiver, it, it's really just saying, does this guy have a path to be, uh, you know, a top, uh, realistically a top two target on his team? Um, that, that's how you kind of look at that. But let's let's talk about, you know, the other side of range of outcomes, which is plus, because we kind of hit on it a little bit, but I, I just want to talk about it a little more. Like, what exactly are we defining? What exactly are we talking about uh, when we're talking about a bust? Like, how would you define it? I, I would say a bust, um, a potential bust is a player who's likely being drafted too early. Um, so their ADP is a little too high or their ADP is, represents their best case scenario. Like, I think that's the best way to put it. Um, and last year, last year, I would say that the guy I was just laughing whenever we were talking about running back was, like Ronald Jones being drafted like <laughs> ahead of Leonard Fournette. I, I was thinking, yeah, like obviously like Fournette could get hurt. Ronald Jones could have a good season, but his ADP represented his best case scenario. So that's why I was avoiding him. Like certainly there's a scenario where Ronald Jones is the top 15 running back. I just didn't see it happening. So I just called uh, Ronald Jones a bust whenever I could um, just based on his ADP. So, you know, there's times where the ADP, might be overrating a player because, you know, they're overlooking potential touchdown regression or target competition. There's many different factors, but it's typically their ADP is way too high and is much closer to their ceiling. Yeah. I, I think a bust is, you know, it's like a guy who he would finish like uh, probably two, two levels down from what you expect. So like a running back one who doesn't even finish as a RB two, like a, a guy you draft as a RB one, who like finishes is like a RB three or worse or, or something when like they're that. healthy. Right. Cause obviously yeah, yeah. injuries can come into play. I would say Allen Robinson last year might've been one of the biggest busts because you drafted him as a wide receiver one and he was healthy for much of the season and you just couldn't play him at times, which is kind of rare, but that, that would have been the definition of a bust last year. I don't know if anybody really saw that coming, but um, that's, yeah, that's really what a bust is, is they really, underperform based on their draft position. And typically that's what we're saying when we're talking about a potential bust is we just think their ADP is way too high. Yeah. And I mean, you could, I mean, some people would call like injuries a bust, but like you can't really predict injuries yeah. other than kind of the way we spoke about earlier with it, which is just um, understanding the, the relative positional differences. Like you can, you could project running backs to miss more games than wide receivers, yeah. but are you going to know which running backs are going to miss how many games? That's almost uh, impossible uh, to predict. Um, how do we generally go about avoiding bust? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's where we come in. Uh, we're, we're trying to um, kind of crunch the numbers, see which players um, may have benefited from good luck last year or suffered bad luck. So we're, we're constantly evaluating future performance. So um, in order to avoid bust, it's really just factoring everything in. And last year, we kind of said that uh, you said we can't predict injury, but last year we were saying Saquon Barkley is already going into the season. Yeah. Um, being banged up. Yeah. Plus you were also saying that even when healthy, he has been underperforming. So there was a couple different angles there. So when it comes to bust, there's usually not one specific reason. It's just, there's a bunch of red flags. Why we're saying Maybe, yeah, just don't draft this player, draft this person instead to, to avoid that potential risk. So that's kind of how I flag, um, you know, potential busts. Yeah, I think with running backs, um, you know, one of the things is, you know, a, an offensive line. Like, I think, you know, you can mm -hmm. kind of, uh, you know, look at a, a team's offensive line. And if it's if it's going to be bad and he's never really run behind an offensive line that bad before, um, that's something you can you can look at. I think with with pass catchers, especially wide receivers, 
Um, you always want to be careful, especially when it's like a, a number two wide receiver that he has competition coming from below. Those guys, I think you always want to be careful about assuming like a guy is locked into a role where maybe he has less job security than he does. Like Alan Lazard is another one. Like mm-hmm. he could be like right now where he's kind of being drafted as the top receiver for Green Bay. But like not only could Romeo Dobbs, um, you know, pass him up, but Christian Watson could as well, you know. Um, you know, so that that's something to kind of also uh, I would say expected role change or like the, the offensive scheme changing maybe mm-hmm. hurts that person. Like uh recently, like Mike Gasicki, um, you know, typically the past few seasons, he's been a wide receiver. He lines up in the slot all the time, and that's why we do like him in fantasy as a low end tight end one, but it sounds like he's gonna stay in and block a lot more this year. So something like that would be a red flag where uh I wouldn't touch him now as a low end tight end one because we're expecting a role change that could sap his fantasy value considerably this year. Yeah. And uh, I think another thing too, is um, just consistency. Like, you know, there's, there's certain players that, you know, they might put up what looks like good end of year numbers, but like a, a guy like Mark Marquez Valdez Scantling, for example, like you generally only want to own him in, in best ball leagues because yeah. even if he puts up some decent numbers and, and he very well could, it's like, if you can't predict him, and, and he's giving you a lot of like, zeros and twos you know week in and week out you know he could be a bust even if he looks good at the end of the year like Mike Williams was kind of like that like he's not he wasn't a bust but he had some really good weeks and some really bad ones and um you know if he had a few more bad ones he he probably would have been considered a bust even as good as his good ones were so um that's also something to keep in mind uh all right let's talk about a couple more things uh let's talk about handcuffing really quick um handcuffing what is it should people do it or should they not So handcuffing is taking the backup running back, uh, typically do the starting running back that you took earlier in the draft. So if you take Dalvin Cook, handcuffing would be taking Alexander Madison later on, guaranteeing you a starting running back at all times for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, This is a very safe way of drafting. And I think it's viable, certainly in season long head to head formats. Um, You typically want to make sure that your team's floor remains high. So Uh, This helps you survive a disaster of Dalvin Cook missing significant games or just one or two games where you're always going to have a backup running back like Alexander Madison to plug in in case he misses time. I think it's a viable strategy, and I do this even when I don't have the starting running back. So I will draft Alexander Mm -hmm. Madison, whether I have Dalvin Cook or not. This could turn into potential trade bait down the line, or you know, I just hang on to him on my bench. And if and when Dalvin Cook misses time, I have a low-end RB1 at my disposal. So uh, I think it's a viable strategy to take specific upside running backs. Again, you can check out my piece for like the handful that I like to target in a lot of drafts. But this is this is a strategy where you can use it um, to raise your team's floor or ceiling or both. Yeah, and you just have to be selective about who you're doing it with. You know, Dalvin Cook is a very obvious one in Madison yeah. where if Dalvin Cook goes down, they generally give Madison the same workload. Now, if a guy like, let's say, Christian McCaffrey went down, it might be like Deontay <laughs> Foreman and Chuba Hubbard splitting carries. You know, same thing with Derrick Henry. It might be Haskins and, and Dontro Hilliard. Uh, we, we never know who's going to be the backup to Austin Eckler. Uh, you know, they, <laughs> they seem to never know either. So uh, it really kind of depends uh, on, on the running back. But if there's an obvious guy um, and, and you don't have to really overpay to get the handcuff, um, pretty cheap handcuff that's always the best situation yep. all right let's talk about draft prep and then we'll talk about mid-season strategy and then we'll get out of here um 
generally, how do you recommend people uh, prepare for their fantasy draft? I mean, listen to our podcast. First and foremost, I would do that. Uh, and then I would check our rankings out, uh, get a draft plan going in from each draft slot. So I would say picks one through four, picks five through eight, picks nine through 12. Have a general plan on how you're going to approach it. Again, it could go out the window, but that's why, you know, you want to do some mock drafts, best ball drafts to kind of get familiar with that. And then I think it's very important to know your league. If you have a buddy that you've known for 20 years, he's going to be there in a Jalen Hurts jersey. He's a diehard Eagles fan. Know that he's probably going to be targeting Eagles players, for example. So just kind of know where people are drafting and who they want. Um, and you'll have an advantage in leagues where you're you know, close to everybody you're drafting with. Um, and then pay attention to bye weeks. It seems silly to say it, but just pay attention. You don't want to end up with you know four running backs with the same bye week. So it's not something that you need to like overthink, but just you know, pay attention to your team's bye weeks as you're drafting and, uh, you know, just preparing constantly through mock drafts or best ball drafts, I think is the best way to prepare uh, for your upcoming drafts. Yeah, I, I think it's always a good idea to kind of have an idea of the of the tiers and who's where the value is in each round. And I so I actually like to do it upside down. So, you know, if I know I'm going to be in a, a league with, let's say, 13 rounds, you know, after you take out the kicker and defense, mm -hmm. you know, I'll say, okay, in round 13, like which players would I actually draft here? And usually it's, it's wide receivers. So then I say, okay, like I'm, I'm going to, you know, wait till the end of the draft to draft my last wide receiver, because I don't really want any running backs in this range. And then I might, you know, go to the 12th round and the 11th and you keep going. And that's, you know, that's, you could kind of understand, you know, just so you have an idea and you're prepared, um, you know, with what happens early in the draft, you kind of have that those backup plans of okay, you know, if I'm if I'm gonna go if, if there's all this value coming to me early at wide receiver and I'm going heavy at wide receiver, you know, when wh when's the running back value gonna kind of even out? When where's the quarterback value gonna be? Where's the tight end value gonna be? Um, it's just kind of important to 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 know where those those different tiers are and like you said, the different drop offs are. And yeah, you could do that by mock drafting uh, as well from from different slots. I think it 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 actually even if you know your draft slot like. Sometimes it pays to draft mock from different slots just to kind of mm -hmm. understand, um, you know, the different value because, you know, you might get locked into one, you know, way of thinking with one ADP and then um, you kind of see it a different way if, if you mock from a different spot and yep. that might inform your draft strategy. And just one more quick one. This is one of the things, this is one of the mistakes that even happens to me to this day, but it's important is if you're in a timed online draft, let's say it's a minute and 30 second timer, uh, have your queue ready to go like seven, eight picks away from you have enough players to where um, even if everybody snipes your queue, you're going to have at least one player left. There's no worse feeling than having no one in your queue, having no plan and having a minute 30 on the clock and you panic and you make a bad pick. That's usually the only time I make a pick that I regret is those situations. So always plan seven, eight picks ahead on just a list of players where you're, you're going to have at least one player in your queue by the time it gets to you. Yeah, that's a great point. And I would, I would suggest, I mean, you can download our rankings and, and upload them to your, you know, whatever we oh, yeah. so that you, at least you, your, you know, your auto draft is going to go off, you know, you know, not just a default yeah. site rankings <laughs> or whatever. And most sites, um, if you just go in the settings, you know, Yahoo, ESPN, wherever you're drafting, you can usually set auto draft settings up too. So the big ones that I would always watch out for are the limits. Like you can usually say, I only want to like max draft one quarterback and one tight end. So that like, 
if you accidentally, you know, time out in let's say round 10, it just doesn't give you like a second quarterback. Like, Oh, I'm oh, going to give man. you like Aaron Rodgers after you already drafted <laughs> Russell Wilson. It's like, cause that's the worst. Like that can like ruin your whole draft because um, again, like you should really be only drafting one quarterback and you want to kind of max out those um, running backs and wide receivers. So yeah, but um, pre-draft rankings is yeah. the best way to overcome what I just mentioned. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Definitely recommend that. So you're not going for default rankings where they have JK Dobbins over James Connor, let's say. So yeah, just have your, your draft rankings set up in the actual, like, you know, queue so that w- when it does auto pick, unfor- hopefully it doesn't, or at least when you're scrambling, you at least have rankings that are in the correct order. Yep. All right. And let's close it out with the mid season strategy. Uh, you know, how, and when do you kind of approach, how do you, how do you approach trading essentially? Um, well, in my leagues, not a lot of people trade with me, but that's, that's fine. But I, I like to do trades where, you know, I'm selling high on a player and trying to buy low. I guess a perfect example last year would have been Mike Williams. I probably should have been trading him away uh, <laughs> after week five last year. I could have got some pretty, <laughs> pretty good yeah. receivers for him, but um, just in, in theory, that's how you're doing it. And also uh, it's, it's hard to pry players away from other people. Usually they're very tied to, you know, they're very invested in their players. They typically, you know, value them a lot higher than they should. Um, one of the things I like to do, and you mentioned a lot is two for one trades. I love, maximizing my starting lineup. So trading a Rashad Bateman and Amon Ross St. Brown for Stefan Diggs, for example, just upgrading one roster slot like that is something I like to do. But um, in general, it's, you kind of want to, you know, seek trades out with a team that maybe they just had a couple of running back injuries and you want to offer them a running back that you have and try to get the receiver. So it's, it's trying to find what makes sense for both sides. So look for teams that uh, certainly have needs at a certain position. And if you can, Find an offer. Usually it's it's a good thing to do, but it's in my experience, it's been tough. But I, I try to, you know, buy low and sell high is typically what I'm trying to do with my trades. Yeah, I think it's it it really comes. I think the priority when you're trading is always to try to acquire uh studs. You know, like if you yeah. can, if you have like your example of of Bateman and, and Amon Ross St. Brown, like if you if you can give like a two for one and give two solid starters for a stud, especially you know, as it gets, you know, toward mid season and you're getting kind of past some of those bye weeks where you're, you're gearing up for the playoffs, like those trades can be, you know, very, very valuable. Uh, And then I think the other way is you always want, this is why you want to stack up on running backs because running backs are always going to be the thing that's in the most demand, you know? Um, And then when it comes to waiver priority, um, you know, there are different ways that leagues go about it. Some, some leagues go do like the priority where you can, you can use it. Um, and then like you have the one number one priority and then you use it and then you go back down to the bottom of the list. So, uh, and then some leagues use like the, uh, the free agency, the, the budget, the FAAB. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you kind of, um, go about, you know, your strategy with both of those? I, it's really a case by case basis. So unfortunately it does depend, but I think when it comes to just like, using your entire budget or using a number one waiver um, you're going to want to get as many gains from that possible uh, from that player as possible. So if an example would be if Leonard Fournette tweaks his ankle week one, he's going to miss, you know, one to two games. Um, I wouldn't necessarily spend a number one waiver on like Rashad white where, you know, Fournette's going to return in a couple games. So you, you might get one or two games out of Rashad white. Whereas if Fournette suffers a season long injury, 
in week one and you're, you're potentially going to get Rashad White for the entire season and use him as your RB2 or flex, um, that's when it's warranted to use a number one waiver is the, the longevity of the value of that player and your team needs. If, you, if you're really hurting at running back and some uh, running back like that's on the waiver wire, um, certainly you should value that player more than other people. But um, again, it just depends uh, on you know how much value that player can offer your team. All right, that is that's going to do it for the Experts Guide to Fantasy Football here on the Fantasy Flex Podcast. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed it. If you have more questions, you can reach out to Sean uh, on Twitter at the underscore oddsmaker. I'm on Twitter at Chris Raybon. Uh, you can also find us at those same handles at the free award-winning Action Network app. Uh, be sure to go to actionnetwork.com where you can find all of our fantasy football content rankings and projections. And uh, stay tuned to the feed. We have... Uh, a bunch of episodes already out on the Fantasy Flex, uh, covering pretty much every position at this point. So be sure to listen to those if you want a more in-depth breakdown of the actual players instead of just the strategies that we talked about here. So until next time, let's get this money. Money.